Hello and welcome to 444 is the Most Accurate Podcast. I'm your host today, John Paulson. I've published my strategy article, 99 Stats, but a Mitch Ain't One. Just published sleepers and breakout articles for each position. You'll need a subscription to read them. And to that end, we've got two great deals going on with Underdog and Prize Picks, where you can get a free 444 sub uh, just for depositing at one of those sites. You can find uh, the details at my pinned tweet at 444 underscore John or by going to either bit.ly slash 444deal. That's in all caps. 444 deals in all caps for the underdog deal or to bit.ly slash prize picks. Uh, prize picks is in all caps as well. So without further ado, you know him from Yahoo Sports, from his new website, Reception Perception, which is excellent. You can support his work by purchasing a subscription there and see all the great data that we're going to talk, talk about today. And you can also find him on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Matt, welcome back to the podcast. John, thank you so much for having me. This is always one of my favorite kind of annual podcast visits I do during what seems to be at this point like a long summer tour. Uh, and I always enjoy talking to you. I, I appreciate all that you do to evangelize the reception perception data and all the support you've shown me through the year. So I'm always happy to talk to you every offseason. That's great to have you back. I appreciate you always saying yes when I invite you. Um, and I, I do feel like your site is extremely valuable to my work, and I think it should be extremely valuable to anybody out there who wants to get a, do a deeper dive into the wide receiver position, uh, certainly. Um, so why don't you give a brief uh, overview of reception perception for, the, for, you know, for those people that are hearing about this for the first time? Yeah, so for those who are not familiar with reception perception, basically I set out prior to the 2014 season. This is really like, you know, 2013 is kind of when I started testing the methodology to really make sure I was on to something. Um, I was looking to better evaluate the wide receiver position because as you know, John, as all your very intelligent listeners out there and all the four for four subscribers know wide receiver production is perhaps the most dependent of any position on other variables just in order to happen. I mean, we know all the time we talk about, you know, wide receivers have to be matched with a good quarterback, but there's so much more that goes into it. Um, that at this point, it, it's kind of just like the wide, like wide receiver stats. I've become more radical about it the longer that I've done reception perception. I'm almost just like, yeah, wide receiver stats are just basically fake news, right? Like, I mean, it doesn't even really encapsulate even 25% of just the player's actual ability. So I thought that somebody should be out there trying to isolate wide receiver play from the quarterback, from those surrounding variables as much as possible. And I decided, well, that was going to be me. So basically what I do is over an eight-game sample for NFL players and college players are back again this year. I go in and I chart every single route that they run in that sample, how often they run each individual route type, how often they get open on each individual route type, which type of coverage are they best at creating separation, press, man, zone. Basically everything that you want to know about a wide receiver because there's also alignment data, contested catch data, after the catch data, reception perception is going to try to tell you that. And again, try to really focus in and quantify the one thing that the wide receiver can control, which is impossible to quantify in every other stat and any other stat. It's how often do they get open? How often do they run good routes? So that's basically what reception perception is. And there is so much data that I do something that Matt sort of warns against, which is try to boil this down to <laughs> one number rankings. And I'll refer to those one number rankings here. I don't publish them out of respect for Matt and his work, but I use them internally for my projections and uh, even weekly rankings when a player is uh, maybe going to be thrust into a role that he hasn't been in before. And uh, just have, have a good idea of how good these guys are at getting open. 
Um, and I sort of discovered reception perception. I think it was 2017, 2016. Um, and I just want to go through why I'm sort of an evangelist and a proponent of this is there's just been some really good success stories. And the one that jumped out to me initially was Tyree Kill. There was a, a year uh, in 2017 when he was going in the fifth round. There's a lot of people saying that he was just a speed guy. He wasn't you know, mm-hmm. that good of a receiver. And uh, he actually did really well in the uh, route running uh, charting. He came in three in my uh, one number rankings, uh, obviously based on Matt's data. And then fantasy-wise, he finished a wide receiver nine after a 23 finish the year before. Uh, that year, reception perception also warned against uh, Kenny Britt and Kelvin Benjamin, uh, maybe saying that they aren't as good at route running as their uh, uh, fantasy finishes might indicate. Um, so we were off of them, and uh, that helped, uh, I think, as well. Uh, Tyler Lockett, who has probably been predicted for a number of breakouts through reception perception, finally broke out <laughs> in 2018. Uh, he was 12th in the one-number rankings finish, uh, wide receiver 16 overall, and uh, the year before he was wide receiver 58, so it was quite a jump for for Lockett. 2019, Calvin Ridley was 6th in the one-number rankings the previous season. His uh, points per game jumped from 27th to 19th in 2019. And then, of course, he was wide receiver 4 last year in 2020. Uh, 20, uh, Chris Godwin finished 25th uh, in 2018, wide receiver 25 in 2018, but his uh, reception perception numbers were top 20. And then he finished with the number 2 overall finish in 2019. Uh, reception perception was pretty skeptical of Geronimo Allison and should have been. Uh, he didn't yeah. do as well uh, with expectations in 2018. So there's uh, there's success stories on the top and there's success stories on the bottom. And we're not even getting into to last year where Stefan Diggs has been, I would say, a perennial top 10 guy in reception mm-hmm. perception. Went to Buffalo, uh, ended up getting a quarterback upgrade, getting an offensive upgrade, and then saw a ton of targets and had his best year ever. Uh, and that was not surprising, I don't think, to Matt that he was able to pr- uh, produce in that role. Uh, it was, the charting was also really bullish on Deontay Johnson, so I was taking a lot of him in the middle late rounds. Uh, he was number 11 in the one-number rankings, and his point per game rose from 43 to 24. Uh, reception perception also confirmed that DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, A.J. Brown, they were all ready for prime time, and they all improved their per-game production in 2020. Metcalf and Brown finished in the top 12 fantasy-wise. So what I'm getting at is that in the there's, a, there's quite often then there's guys finishing maybe in the 20 to 30 range in the wide receiver two wide receiver three rankings that show very well as route runners and then the next year or the year after or in the case of Lockett maybe three years after three years after. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they they do break out uh, it seems like it happens eventually and so it's good to be uh, maybe ahead of the curve on these guys and be able to draft them uh, maybe a little bit later than uh you're going to be able to get in the next year. So, um, hell of a hell of a hit list you just ran off there. Can I get you to uh, write that down and then email that to me so I can put it somewhere on the yeah, website? <laughs> yeah, I, I had to take a breath <laughs> midway through, and I think every year it just gets longer and longer because there's more hits, you know, for the previous year. So I just keep adding to it. Um, I want people to look at this data, and I want people to understand that it's valuable. So uh, I, I believe recently you called Stefan Diggs the greatest uh, route runner in the league, uh, and the numbers support that he did finish first in success rate uh, versus man coverage in 2020. But in my one number rankings, I also account for zone coverage and try to boil that down. Deontay Johnson finished first, yeah. uh, just slightly ahead of Diggs. Um, 
And the reason I brought up Diggs is just to bring up that Deontay Johnson's really good route runner. I'd like you to talk about him. He's he's going in the fifth round. I think in, in PPR he's going in the fourth, and I think he's a really good really good pick there. What do you what's your take on uh, on Deontay Johnson? Yeah, Stefan Diggs, I think, is probably like my favorite reception perception success story. He led the NFL in 2017 in success rate versus man coverage, actually led it again this past year, but broke the all-time record at 82.6 success rate versus man coverage. So shout out to him. He was also number one in press last year as well. I think he's I think he's the best route runner in the NFL, period. But Johnson is up there for sure. And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because I guess we could talk about the negatives with Deontay Johnson from like a – you know, yards per target, catch rate standpoint or whatever. But I don't really care about any of that stuff because, as I said off the top, all of those stats are inherently welcoming in outside variables. And I think with the Steelers last year, you know, obviously Ben Roethlisberger is a question mark, was not pushing the ball downfield really at all. And, and when he did, he actually had some okay moments, like pushing the ball vertically downfield. He just rarely ever did it. Like that second half against the Colts kind of stands out. Like I'll always remember that game because that was sort of the moment where I thought it was over for the Steelers, but came back roaring in that game. So, but a lot of folks think that Johnson was just getting these targets and, and just running routes like, you know, the short little bunny hop routes, which I, I normally hate players that, that run those sort of patterns because, you know, like the Jamison Crowders or whatever, you know, in previous iterations of his time, like Cole Beasley was a great example of that type of player, you know, just the short little bunny hop passes that, you know, people love like late in PPR drafts, but really bring no true NFL value to it. But Johnson Certainly might have been getting a lot of those targets last year. I sort of suspect that it was basically just an extension of the run game. You know, the Patriots have done that over the years when they couldn't really run the ball very well. They just do those quick hitting short passes. They just did it much better than the Steelers did last year. But I think what reception perception shows you is that Deontay Johnson, as you mentioned, is a full field route runner, a true separator across the, the route tree. 95th percentile against man coverage last year, sixth best among all players charted last year. The only guys to beat him were Stefan Diggs, Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, Allen Robinson, Terry McLaurin, Chris Godwin. So, yeah, he finishes there inside that top seven, right right around the same range as Tyreek Hill. Number one against zone coverage, as you mentioned. Um, very strong, over the 85th percentile against press coverage. I mean, and again, he wasn't just running. He might have been getting the targets of those just little short bunny hop routes, but his route tree graphics on receptionperception.com would show you that he definitely was running a little bit more routes than uh, just those little short drags or whatever. So I would love to see them open up the field for this player who obviously I think a lot of the drop issues too were because he's getting targeted in the area of the field short over the middle where most drops happen. Next Gen Stats put that chart out um, in the middle of the season and it just like makes sense, right? Because Ben Roethlisberger is getting that ball out at 1.5 seconds or whatever Johnson doesn't have the time to properly track it. And he could obviously clean up some of his technique on his own just from, from a hands perspective. But overall, I think this is a player that people aren't talking about in the same breath as like A.J. Brown or D.K. Metcalf, those ascending wide receivers from the 2019 class. But I think he's right there with guys like McLaurin, Brown, and Metcalf, just right behind those guys in terms of his individual talent that reception perception shows. And just realistically, through the history of RP, as you mentioned, if you bet against players that separate at this level, you usually lose. So I'm I'm very bullish on Johnson long-term. Big Chase Claypool guy as well. But yeah, I, I think Johnson is just not getting enough credit for, I mean, playing, just getting a huge workload and targets are earned, guys. Like, I mean, they don't just, you know, 
distribute the ball randomly or something like that. Roethlisberger decided that Johnson was the best receiver on the field last year. The team backed it up. He got benched in one half, but after that was immediately used right away again. I don't think there's any reason to be worried about Johnson unless you're worried, obviously, about the offense overall, which is fair. But I think if they change things up from a play calling perspective, this offense could actually be a little bit better than they were last year. Yeah, I think the reports uh, about Roethlisberger that his arm's better and they may be stretching the field a little bit more. And I'm looking at his uh, success by route, Deontay Johnson's, and his he did great on the nine route, the post route, and you know he's he's good down the field as well. So it's not like he's a little dink and dunk guy, as you mentioned. Exactly. In the ten games over the past two seasons, oh, I'm sorry, in the twelve games that he played, at least thirty snaps, he averaged six point nine receptions for seventy four yards and .58 touchdowns or fourteen point two points per game. Those are top ten numbers for Deontay Johnson when he was playing healthy uh he saw double digit targets in 10 of those 12 games so that's just to underline the usage that he was seeing when he was healthy uh calvin ridley uh is he gonna go nuclear as a wide receiver one in atlanta oh yeah i mean i think he kind of already has right like last season we already had that uh change i wrote about this in his profile that you know over the course of the season last year because i think there's some you know, there's not a lot of thoughts about this. I don't like to make like straw man arguments, but I know like I saw a couple of tweets across the timeline. I hate to be the guy that's like, I saw a couple of tweets about this, so let me make a grand point about it, but I'm going to do it here anyways. You know, there was like some comparisons to when Juju Smith-Schuster uh, became, quote, became the number one after Antonio Brown left and he wasn't up to that task. And I mean, they're just not even comparable players whatsoever. They whatsoever. You know, that's been one of my biggest lessons over the course of charting through, you know, from 2014 to the current season, you know, over 300 players, over 80,000 routes logged in reception perception history. One of my biggest takeaways is that alignment really does matter. You know, you just can't really run an offense through an interior receiver like Juju who doesn't win vertically down the field, but Ridley has been a full field route runner, a true outside receiver his entire career. And then last year, you know, we already have a sample of games with, Ridley not playing with Julio Jones and you know obviously he was still productive for fantasy we all know that but additionally one of the great things that we saw last year was that not only did the Falcons moved him kind of into that X receiver position where they were running the offense through Julio Jones but defenses also started to give extra attention to Calvin Ridley I don't bring up double coverage too often just because uh, you know it doesn't happen nearly as much and like the percentages would show you this in rp that it doesn't happen nearly as much as kind of gets talked about through the uh through the general consensus of football i don't know the, the the football landscape or whatever but ridley was the best receiver when you're accounting for guys that were doubled a significant amount the best receiver at beating double coverage last year 90.5 success rate against double teams last year again wins all over the route tree i think he is on He's a guy that's in that same kind of class of separator as Stefan Stefan Diggs at some point. I think they're on the same axis of players. Yeah, I think you can get him. I'm not sure what the odds are now, but uh, most receiving yards uh, in the league, the, the numbers weren't too, the, the betting wasn't too bad. The, the odds on that weren't too bad when I last looked. I think he's got a good shot at it. And the 10 games over the past two seasons when Julio has been out or played fewer than 30 snaps, Ridley averaged 6.3 catches, 10.3 targets, 95 yards. Uh, 0.3 touchdowns. So he's looking at like a 16, 17, 100 yard a season if he can uh, stay yeah. healthy and everything clicks for him in that offense. So moving on to Terry McLaren, um, <laughs> I've been enjoying getting him in the third round. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's just been fun. Uh, he's finished 20th in the one number ranking. So he's a good, he's a good route runner. Second season improved. Um, or he was, he was 20th in, as a rookie and improved to sixth in the second season. So yeah, 
that's a pretty good leap. Uh, and he looks like a fantastic pick in the third round. AJ Brown also improved from uh, 23rd to 13th. He made a similar jump in the rankings. Um, I think Brown is going a little bit earlier. I think he's going late second, uh, which is yeah. might be a little, pri- I mean, I, when, when Julio wasn't there, I was looking at Brown at the one, two turn or early second round. Like, I think he was worth it there because yeah. he's probably going to see a gazillion targets, but with Julio there, I, I, I feel like he probably should be early thirder, uh, third rounder. Um, and then McLaren kind of going mid third round. So what do you make of these two in there uh, as they progress? Yeah, both of these guys were back-to-back in success rate versus man coverage. Uh, Brown was third best in the NFL last year. McLaurin was um, was was fifth. Well, yeah, he was fourth best. So, I mean, <laughs> they, these are just two great young players. And I love to talk about this 2019 class as a whole because I think it kind of changed the game in the NFL at this point to the point that it's also changed the way that like we should draft in fantasy football. Like the fact that this class 2019 was not supposed to be a strong class, you know, and the guys that went in the first round, Nikhil Harry and, and Marquise Brown, you know, Brown has been okay. I don't think he's been as bad as people think. Um, he, he's a pretty, I think he's a decent, like number two rotational receiver or something like that. Nikhil Harry obviously has not been a good player so far, but the fact that Metcalf Brown, McLaurin Johnson, Debo Samuel, like they came into the NFL and just, flushed the position with talent before the uh, 2020 class was everything that it was cracked up to be. And, you know, like I said, 2019 wasn't supposed to be that, but these guys like Brown and McLaurin and Metcalf additionally, like they've, they've changed the game to the point that now there's so many receiver values that have been pushed down the board that it's, it's just the position is deep. It's not just deep. Like from, uh, oh, I'm going to target my wide receiver one in round seven or eight or something like that. No, it's like you can get um, unbelievably quality receivers like Terry McLaurin in the third round. And McLaurin last year, like you mentioned, excellent separator. Uh, he Like I said, fourth best against man coverage, really strong against zones as well. And 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 press. I mean, he. I think he's a number one receiver. I think he's actually on that same access again. The the Stephon Diggs, Calvin Ridley access, Odell Beckham access is is on that same sort of plane. So yeah, I, I really, I love to get McLaurin where he's going. It's always tough for me. I'm weighing Allen Robinson versus Terry McLaurin. These are like two of my long like long time guys. Especially Allen Robinson's like been around from the beginning of reception perception, but. Um, yeah, they are like perfect third round picks. I love taking them every time this year. And it's just lucky for Terry McLaurin to bring up Allen Robinson that he gets off that kind of like miserable quarterback um, train pretty early in his career. Yeah, you can often get Keenan Allen, Terry McLaurin, Allen Robinson mid to late third round. And that's that's golden awesome. there. That's golden. Yeah. Uh, just a quick note on just Justin Jefferson. Well, I wanted to mention something on McLaurin too, because of the quarterback. I think it's a quarterback upgrade. Fitzpatrick, Ryan Fitzpatrick had the fourth oh, highest adjust, adjusted completion percentage on deep passes last season. Um, so I think that helps McLaurin and Curtis Samuel, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. But McLaurin is one of 12 receivers to average at least 70 yards receiving and gain 2,000 plus total yards in his first two seasons. So he's definitely on a uh, – he's skyrocketing, I think, his, his career. Um, for Can you just talk some sense to people who – maybe you're worried about taking Justin Jefferson near the two, three turn. I mean, come on people. Like, I mean, come on this, this guy broke the rookie receiving record. And I think he had the best rookie season since Odell Beckham in reception perception. And just like in real life too. Right. I mean, last year, Justin Jefferson, 91st percentile against man coverage, 96th percentile against press coverage. He was actually number two in the NFL to only Stefan Diggs last year. Ironically, the guy that he replaced, in Minnesota. There's no question 
about Justin Jefferson. There should be zero questions about him as a player. The situation is basically the same as last year, and he's just taking another step as a player above the NFL average success rate on a variety of patterns. Was Justin Jefferson? There are no questions about the player. Yeah, and people forget, I think, well, I don't know if they forget, but the first two games, he only had six total targets. He was still playing behind like BC Johnson, I think, and it wasn't until week three that he uh, blew up seven for 175 and a touchdown against uh, Tennessee. And so for the last, you know, from week three on, he was the number four fantasy receiver. So there's no issue with where he's going in uh, in drafts. I think he's a very solid pick there. Um, By the way, if you if you were worried about these like Jamar Chase practice reports that he's not separating or whatever, he's not having a good camp. People were saying the same thing about Justin Jefferson last year. And and either you can tell yourself two stories with that to be positive on, on Jamar Chase. It's number one, people don't really know what separation is or how to track it when they're watching practice reports, which I, I think is probably true or two, it just doesn't matter. And like the talent of the player will eventually win out. And it's not as if like Jamar chase is not going to lose playing time. Like Justin Jefferson didn't get that playing time earlier in the year. Like we know Jamar chase is going to be out there for basically every single snap for the, with this offense. So um, just like a side tangent there that sometimes, you know, people watching beat writers watching training camp might not be able to, um, cause it's a side, like, you know, like it's probably a sideline view or a stadium view or something like that. And, and like, you're watching a handful of plays. I don't blame them for, 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 for reporting this stuff or anything like that. But just from a reaction standpoint, um, just cause guys are having bad camps or whatever, they, they might still be able to thrive in year one. Yeah. I and mean, then you don't throw out, uh, all the draft, you know, eval we did as well, or their college performance, just because they had a, like, this guy also didn't play competitive football since like what January of 2020 or something. Yeah. So he might be a exactly. little bit rusty the first week of, of camp. So, uh, let's talk about an old friend, uh, Odell Beckham. Uh, he was back in the to top 20 in the, in the one number rankings after finish for, finishing 40th last year. And we think that was probably due to injury just kind of struggling prior to that. He'd been a perennial top 10 guy. He's a great route runner yeah. in general. Uh, so his improved route running in 2020 was good to see. And I think it sets up a potential for a bounce back season this year. What do you think? Yeah, Beckham, I mentioned, you know, earlier that he had the best uh, rookie season, probably in reception perception history. He's had several of the best seasons all time. He still owns four or two of the top four success rate versus coverage scores ever recorded in reception perception since 2014. Like, I think back in New York, he was a legendary talent that was on a Hall of Fame trajectory, and then things go wrong in Cleveland in his first year. As you mentioned, um, it's reflected in the one-number rankings. He was 54th percentile against man coverage. He was 42nd against press. You know, that's an extreme fall-off after having, like I said, two of the top four seasons ever recorded in the metrics. So I agree with you, like what you said, that I think you kind of have to write it off to to injury. Because again, remember, this is not a Baker Mayfield thing. Like reception perception isolates the wide receiver from the quarterback performance. Um, I think it was just a very broken offense too, though, in 2019. Like I kind of hated the usage that they had um, with Odell that year. You know, his slant route percentage was very down. We know that he's one of the best like slant route runners in the NFL, super dangerous after the catch during his Giants days. Um, on those slants, those crossers where Eli would hit him and, and, you know, just get all those extra yards after the catch and those big explosive plays, those were kind of missing from his route portfolio in 2019. Last year, they were back up. They had him, you know, running some more quick hitter, hitters. And as you mentioned, from a reception perception standpoint, an individual player standpoint, you know, he wasn't quite back up to the legendary days of New York, but he was back up there 
as a really strong player. 91st percentile against man coverage, 94th against press. If he's that player again, and it sucks that we have another injury question this year, right? Like the fact that he's coming off yet another injury is problematic because I think that could like that's what you have to ask yourself or what you did have to ask yourself coming out of 2019 into 2020 was is this a one-year injury blip or a culmination of a bunch of lower body injuries and unfortunately even though he had that great scene last year which you could say like okay so 2019 was to blip with injuries you still kind of have to ask yourself is this just a culmination too much water to, to break the dam or whatever with Beckham and all the injuries but Man, I, I don't buy into the narrative that that Beckham and Mayfield can't just figure it out from a chemistry standpoint. I think it's just kind of coincidence that some of Mayfield's worst moments also came in 2019 when Beckham was hurt, and then you know Mayfield started firing off late in the year. It wasn't like they took Beckham out of you know the picture; he was out of the mix, and then Mayfield just started immediately playing well. It took a few weeks, I think, just to get comfortable in the offense after a weird year in the off season with COVID and all that. So I, I think that. I'm going to keep the candle lit one more year for Beckham. That's that's for sure. Uh, and and I really like where he's going in drafts right now. I have him a little bit ahead of consensus uh, in my own tiers. Yeah, and I, the narrative that, you know, Baker Mayfield is better off without Beckham is, it seems to me to be pretty absurd uh, in general. I, if, your team, I, if your team is better off without a superstar player, you're the problem, not the player. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that that then uh, Baker, you know, taking off at the end of the season is more like he's meant, like you mentioned, uh, COVID weird COVID year. But even even if they had a full training camp and installing a new offense, it takes some time to get things going. I mean, look at what the, the Packers didn't take off immediately, and Rodgers didn't take off immediately uh, with the new coach two years ago. So, um, and then Beckham, before, prior to his injury, he was the wide receiver nineteen in PPR format. So prior to that. Uh, injury, he was performing at a wide receiver two level, and he's being drafted, I think, as a high end wide receiver three. Um, so the bounce back is is possible. I think the ACL is the tricky thing, and we don't know. Yeah. But everything, but everything, everything on that so far has been that he's looking, he's looking like the guy of old. He was on a 114 target pace in the first six games, just just for note. Um, let's talk about DJ Moore because. He he was a player that I noticed was fairly low in the rankings, uh, what number rankings, 42nd in 2019, 45th in 2018, but he made a big jump. And you don't see these giant jumps uh, too often, and when you do, I certainly take note. He finished 17th yeah. uh, in 2020. His receiving numbers didn't change a whole lot from 2019, but the, the route running did, and can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, DJ Moore is one of these players. Like, There's a handful of guys, I think. He's an example – Kenny Galladay is a really good example too that just take these like incremental jumps every year in their career. And I actually think Cortland Sutton could have been another one that took like one jump from, from year one to year two and, and would have taken another jump in year three. And now again, it's a bummer that we have an injury question there, but we'll see what we get in 2021. Most of the time though, as you mentioned, these RP metrics are pretty stable. If you're at the bottom, you're rarely going to you know, suddenly jump up to like the 80th percentile or something like that. Um, if you're at the top, you're almost never going to fall off unless there's an injury or your Des Bryant, like your play falls off the cliff after 2017. So I um, I, I look at, at DJ Moore as just like a player that really improved. And it's funny because I actually really liked, and reception perception really liked DJ Moore coming into the NFL. But as you mentioned, his rookie year, he was below the 10th percentile in sex, success rate versus man and press coverage. He just was really raw as a technical route runner. You know, you can get by in college 
Um, Devontae Adams, great example of this. Devontae Adams was like a, a great college player, came into the NFL and was a really poor technician and has one of the six worst percent success rate first man coverage scores ever charted from his rookie season. And we know he fell flat in 2015. Now he's jumped all the way. And I don't expect anybody to ever do this again, period. He's jumped all the way now to being one of the best receivers in football, one of the best receivers in reception perception. But it just kind of goes to show you like sometimes players can be great athletes in college and win and get open on athleticism but then if their technique isn't there as an NFL player, it can slump. And then credit to Adams, who's now, I think, one of the three or four best route runners in the NFL, period. So with DJ Moore, I know we were talking about DJ Moore here. <laughs> DJ Moore is a guy who's taken that like incremental jump to the point that last year he's over the 70th percentile in all three forms of coverage. Um, I think what was most welcome about him is that while being lined up as an ex-receiver, the ISO guy against press – you know, that the Panthers tried to use him a lot as a vertical threat, and it obviously wasn't always there because, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is a quarterback. But from a success rate standpoint, really good on the nine route. I think he really improved on deep outs, posts, routes like that, that I thought was always going to be kind of the weaker point of his game until he honed that technique. And and you think he, I think he finally has to the point that, you know, he's knocking on that door of like being a, a fringe number one type of guy and – I just would love to see out of the Panthers this year because I'm a big, big Terrace Marshall fan. Love that guy as a prospect. Um, I would love to see the Panthers be a bit more multiple in the receiver use this year because I think more, you know, he's one of the best yak receivers in the NFL when you give him that chance. Um, he can break a ton of t – this would show you on the sortable data tables at receptionperception.com, can break a ton of tackles in the open field. Would love to get him kind of – running some of those routes that Curtis Samuel ran last year. I would love to see Marshall as a vertical receiver on the outside. Robbie Anderson, we know, is a better vertical threat than what they used him as last year. So I think all of these Panthers receivers and the offense as a whole, the ecosystem in general, would benefit by opening up the route tree for some of these guys, moving them around a little bit more. Yeah, I think the, the concerns about Sam Darnold coming in are a little perplexing uh, given – Bridgewater's numbers, they weren't that great. It was 3,700 yards passing, right. which is nothing in this today's NFL, 15 touchdowns. I mean, if the Carolina coaching staff's correct and they decided they picked Arnold over a lot of different guys they could have had in the draft and free agency yeah. and whatever, if, if they could Which I don't know in. about that. I don't know about that decision, man. I mean, obviously, I think the concern about Sam Darnold coming in is that he's Sam Darnold, you know? Like, he's yeah. not a he's, – he's been few quarterbacks as – poor statistically as Sam Darnold has been to start his career. Obviously this is a much better situation from like a personnel situation yeah. you know, wise, like McCaffrey is there. These receivers are really good. The line is still a, a, a pretty big question mark though. But I think to your point, Bridgewater was not good last year. This team survived. Like everyone talks about, well, Teddy Bridgewater supported, you know, three receivers and a pretty good running back last year. But I mean, it was mostly on volume. It was mostly because the defense is bad and like there was no touchdown ceiling here. I think that Teddy Bridgewater does not was not going to unlock the ceiling. Sam Darnold might make this offense more vulnerable or more volatile, but he will certainly, I think, boost up the ceiling a little bit. Yeah, and I'm still kind of holding the candle up for or leaving a candle on for whatever the phrase is for Sam Darnold to potentially turn it around. He, his rookie year was fine. It was okay. And then he had Adam Gase, I think, the last two seasons. So, you know, it's the stench of Adam Gase has has been applied to many players that have broken away and 
and have produced. So I'm interested to see what happens there with that coaching staff because they seem like they know what they're doing. Um, and so I, I have a little bit of confidence in that. Um, I think we're contractually ob obligated to talk about Tyler Lockett, uh, Curtis Samuel, whenever you come on uh, the podcast. <laughs> uh, we've been talking, I think this is probably the fifth or fifth year in a row or fourth year in a row. We talked about Tyler Lockett, um, but he's going wide receiver 16. He's still a value, um, which I think is oh, yeah. kind of amazing at this point. He finished wide receiver eight last year, but I guess the second half of the season wasn't up to snuff for a lot of fantasy owners. Um, I think wide receiver 16 and his ADP is closer to his floor than his ceiling. He posted top five numbers in the first 10 weeks of the season uh, when, the, when the Seahawks were letting uh, Russell Wilson cook. Uh, and it sounds like the new offense under Shane Waldron is going to be up-tempo. They, they're really raving about it in camp. The players seem to love it. And it's going to be a little more pass-friendly, quick-hitting uh, than what the Seahawks are used to. It's got a little stale there. Um, so talk a little bit about Lockett, if you would, and... I mean, I think I'm assuming you're still on him. We took him in our Hall of Fantasy League draft. I was very happy to get him. I, I just feel like he's still, you know, way up there in terms of route running and and uh, pretty game production. John, John, he's like the consensus ranked wide receiver twenty or something like that yeah. all off season. What are people? Legitimately, people just have their feelings hurt because he was inconsistent last year, which is like, oh, what? I mean, it's a bummer, I guess, that he obviously had a bunch of floor games there, but legitimately won you weeks at times. And even then, like, as you mentioned, there's no drop off in him as an individual player over the 90th percentile again against man coverage really good against zones was top three last year in success rate versus zone coverage as that interior slot receiver, the big play slot receiver for the Seahawks. So there's no individual drop off at the player. I mean, he just had a quarterback problem for parts of the year last year, and that could be an extension of the offense. As you mentioned, um, I think Shane Waldron coming in is actually huge for this team, because if you think about a team, a, a system, a style of offense that would kind of solve both problems like let's still be a physical ground and pound team but also an efficient passing team to make Russ happy and give him those numbers that he clearly wants to be a top five quarterback or whatever it would be a ram style offense and the quick hitting part of it the the layups were so absent from this team last year you know dk metcalf even has pointed that out publicly i think this offense is a screaming buy i think lockett is a screaming buy i have him as a wide receiver 14 and that's he could easily still outkick that. He did it from a total basis last year. And from the consistency point of it, yes, again, you have your feelings hurt from last year if this happened to you on your little fantasy teams. But unless you can project Lockett to lose volume from last year based on this consistency problem, then you don't care about it. And I don't see any reason why we're not penciling him in for a 24% target share once again this year. Yeah, I've got him at uh, 15 in PPR, so we're fairly close uh, on that. And the the player that I have the most ownership of right now, I thought it would be Jalen Waddle, but at underdog, it's actually Curtis Samuel. We'll talk about Waddle a little bit later, but Curtis Samuel, I was drafting in the eighth, ninth round, I think, over the summer. I I don't get the down, I don't get the notion that there's a down. He was wide receiver 25 last year. Uh, he had a little bit of rushing that helped him uh, in Carolina. And now he joins a Washington team with a quarterback that's willing to push the field, uh, push the ball down the field. Uh, I mentioned Ryan Fitzpatrick's uh, deep ball accuracy earlier, and Samuel's got that great speed as well. He did have a little bit of a groin injury, but he's back. He was on the COVID list, but he's back. I think things are going to be clicking for Samuel. Uh, what did you see last year when you charted him? Yeah, I mean, thank God he's off the, the the PUP list, right? Because that was that was going to be troubling. Because I, you know me, I I'm all in on Curtis Samuel as well. Terry McLaurin, Ryan Fitzpatrick, like I I'm 
I want to draft Antonio Gibson in round two. Uh, Lynchburg, Virginia's finest. Logan Thomas is the tight end. I'm all in, baby. I'm all in on Washington football. Um, but with Curtis Samuel particularly, I actually like, let's take it back to 2019 because I think everybody knows he played really well once again last year. Um, but there's some concern out there that, oh, he's going back to the offense and the head coach that used him improperly it, back in Carolina. No, he's actually going back to the offense and 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 head coach that used him properly. Um, he would have had a breakout season in 2019 if Kyle Allen didn't stink, if Kyle Allen could throw the ball down the field. Like, it really is as simple as that. And now he's got Ryan Fitzpatrick, who can throw the ball downfield, is at least an average quarterback in the NFL. Samuel, in 2019, finished at the 88th percentile in success rate versus man coverage. He's been right around the 80th, 70th, 77th percentile against press coverage each of the last couple of years. This is a good starting outside receiver who, again, his route charts from 2018, 2019, and 2020 would show you he can win vertically as that flanker receiver outside. I think it's just going to be a chore for defenses with Samuel and McLaurin on each side of the field as true full field route runners, true full field separators. And McLaurin is a superstar. I, I mentioned that earlier. I think he's on that trajectory. And I think Samuel is like, could be a potential one B receiver. If he just stays healthy an entire year and has a quarterback that can hit him downfield. I think he is, he was, when he was going like wide receiver 39 or something like that before the PUP uh, situation, I thought he was a screaming value. Then I have him. I've never moved him off wide receiver 35, 36, that range in my rankings. Like I want to draft him every single time he's at ADP because I truly believe the narrative that he has to be some gadget player or needed to be used. Like he was last year in Carolina is, is a total joke. Yeah. And your discussion about Curtis Samuel, like having terrible, deep ball accuracy two years ago made me made me think of a, a blurb that I wrote in 2020. So I looked it up. He had terrible luck on his deep balls last season. Just five of his 27 deep ball targets of 20 plus yards downfield were deemed catchable by PFF. And he caught all five of them of the 49ers of the 49 receivers with at least 15 deep ball targets last year. Samuel was 49th last in catchable target rate. And I said, if he had, uh, enjoyed league average accuracy, he would project to catch an additional 6.7 passes for another 218 receiving yards. That would have put him at 845 receiving yards instead of 627 in 2019. So that is sort of how I look at it. Like Kyle Allen was just so inaccurate. It, it just limited Samuel's effectiveness. And now he's playing in a much better system or but much better quarterback, same system, much better quarterback where they are going to go deep to him, but with a guy who can actually deliver the ball. Exactly. So let's talk last year's rookies, uh, second year players. Uh, first, let's just, I'm just going to throw out the names of the guys who kind of were above average. Uh, these guys all finished uh, 30th or higher in my one number rankings. Justin Jefferson, we talked about Brandon Ayuk, CD lamb, chase Claypool, Michael Pittman was, was 29th. Jerry Judy was 30th. And I was a little bit surprised, I guess, by Michael Pittman. Um, but this is why, Reception perception is great because you're actually digging there, looking at the routes, and he just was somebody that never got off the schneid for me. Um, I've been targeting Claypool a lot in the six. I was happy to see that his ankle uh, or foot injury is not going to be serious. It doesn't sound like. Um, the last guy going in this group is Pittman in the ninth round. I know James Coe is a big fan. I've talked with him during our best ball uh, live stream that we did. Um, I'm wondering if I should be targeting more often, but I'm a little bit worried about Frank Reich and this offense being a kind of a spread it around deal. 
Uh, T.Y. Hilton had led the team last year with 93 targets. Two years ago, Zach Pascal and Jack Doyle led the team with 72 targets each. Um, <laughs> which when I saw that, I did a spit take. But uh, three years ago, um, Hilton and Ebron had 120 and 110 respectively. So I'm wondering if this is a you know feature or a bug in this offense right now where they're they're not there's not a guy getting a ton of targets because there's not a guy who's capable of getting a ton of targets, but maybe Michael Pittman's that guy. Yeah, I think if somebody's gonna stand out from this receiver core, it's Michael Pittman. Like we need a um we need a kind of like confidence scale for reception perception or something like that. I mean, we have the percentiles, right? And there we've done some work on the site about, you know, this threshold has this percentage hit rate. This threshold has this percentage hit rate, stuff like that. But if we come up with got to come up with something firm, I guess, maybe um, for Pittman, he's in a range of guys that have, I would say, a, quote, a pretty good hit rate to just not go into like the super, um, super nerdy numbers here. 71.6% success rate versus man coverage. That's a pretty good mark. It's above the 70th percentile. Again, there's been some misses, you know, guys who've never been productive that have finished up there, but the majority have. The majority are productive players through their career. So I think Pittman showed more than he's getting credit for in his rookie season. I think he was just an antithetical fit with who Phillip Rivers was as a quarterback. You know, I'm not going out on a limb here to say that Phillip Rivers' arm was probably close to shot last year because he retired. You know, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm going out on a limb there. <laughs> um, but Pittman, I think, is should be more of a vertical X receiver, outside the numbers type of guy. But he actually ran 40% of his routes – in reception perception were either a slant or a dig you know those crossing routes he made some pretty decent plays on those um crossing routes over the middle in space whatever but you know i think that he can do a lot more than that i think he'd be more unlocked in as a true vertical number one x receiver but i don't know if i don't know if this is the offense to do it i've had Pittman ahead of consensus basically all off season i've, I've still kept him there on the idea that i mean once he got dropped again in the rankings you know or the adp or whatever I've still I dropped him a little bit lower, dropped him one tier basically to reflect that he's not a guy that I like when he was going as a ninth round pick before Carson Wentz got hurt. I was willing to take him there, you know, every single time because I think he's got good enough indicators in reception perception to potentially make that jump uh, to potentially be, you know, that guy that gets 100 targets out of this offense i think he's good enough to be that player whether it's going to happen or not is still an unknown but basically just dropped in that tier to kind of reflect to people until we have more clarity with wentz i'm going to be you know i'll still take him absolutely where he's going i'm just not going to take him in like every single draft kind of thing and just on on the the colts receiving core in general you know i think they've spoken so highly of Pittman. frank reich has um, Chris Ballard has, and better than that, they've backed it up with their actions. You know, they didn't make any improvements to this receiver core, really. They just brought back T.Y. Hilton, who I think is kind of a rotational player at this point. And I think it kind of speaks to their faith in Pittman to potentially be that number one guy. And maybe Paris Campbell coming back, they felt like they had some depth there that potentially he could, he yeah. could contribute as well. So <laughs> in this group, I wanted to ask about Brandon Ayuk because I've noticed that his ADP is, rise, is rising. He's going pick 44 now at underdog, wide receiver 21. He's going ahead of Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, uh, Deontay Johnson, uh, Adam Thielen, uh, obviously Chase Claypool. So um, I know that Ayuk was, did well in your, in your charting, and I know that he was very productive 
especially when one or both of Debo Samuel and George Kittle were out, I worry about this offense that it's too run centric. And when the, the three or four of them were all healthy, it was Kittle that dominated the targets. And that's a really small sample size. So, you know, if, are you going to, do you want to talk me into Ayuk uh, at wide receiver 21 or is that getting a little expensive for you? I have him at 20. I have him ahead of all of those players that you mentioned. And it's basically just a bet on talent, bet on the second year receiver, which has been the right bet more often than not the, the past couple of years to bet on these breakout second year receivers kind of answering their own, answering all of these questions with just their own ability. You mentioned Ayuk was unbelievable in reception perception last year. I thought he might be closer to like a create a touch gadget guy like Debo Samuel was coming into the NFL. He surprised me just as much as he's like AJ Brown surprised folks who thought he was going to, people thought AJ Brown was going to be a slot receiver. They, they, they dared to put Juju Smith Schuster comparisons on AJ Brown coming out of college. Um, Brown was an ISO X receiver route running winner from the jump. And Brandon Ayuk was as well. He was their ex receiver last year. He posted an above average success rate on every single route except one. He was 88th percentile against man coverage, 86th against press coverage. Like I said, full field route runner, full field dominator. And like he's just like him and Debo Samuel just aren't even comparable players. Debo's really good in the role that he plays, but he's just, he's just not what Brandon Ayuk is to this offense. And, you know, obviously there's some context to Ayuk's rookie season. You mentioned it, the injuries to Kittle, the injuries to Debo, but if you just look at it, like on a, on a, you know, with, with, you know, if in an, in a vacuum or whatever, it's a pretty traditional rookie season that the longer he played, the more they relied on him, the more they went to him as a go-to guy, despite the fact that he had injury issues. He was on the COVID list uh, last year as well. Like they, they continued to trust Ayuk. I, and I just think he is the most underrated route runner, the most underrated separator in the NFL right now. And there are absolute questions about the offense as a whole. Um, I think, I've said this a thousand times on our Yahoo podcast to the point that I think my, I tweeted about this. My producer, Brett is probably about ready to fire me. If I say it again, the 40, getting the 49ers right is like the key to winning fantasy football leagues in, in 2021. Cause there are so many different avenues. This team could go, could go down. Like Trey Sermon could be a league winner at his ADP. Um, if he's the one a in that committee and the pass catching back there, um, obviously when, and if Trey Lance does take over, it's going to change the complexion of this offense from a passing volume standpoint for sure, but also potentially an efficiency standpoint for a guy like Brandon Ayuk, who was one of the most go-to receivers in the inside the 10 yard line last year around the goal line. They, they used him a ton. So I don't know, to me, I totally recognize the questions, but I also just think that Ayuk is so good that he's going to kind of just, He's going to command volume. Like I mentioned, targets are earned. I think he's going to command volume. It's tough to be in on all three of these guys. I think that's impossible, and it's almost kind of impossible to be on Ayuk and George Kittle at cost at the same time. Um, but I just want to bet on Ayuk because I think he's that rocket ship of a second-year receiver that we should bet on in fantasy. I'm certainly going to give him another look. I have him behind some guys that I'm looking at, and the way you're glowingly talking about him, you're, I, mean, I would say you're gushing. About I'm him, gushing. You are I'm gushing. gushing. I'm gushing for sure. Like these guys, like Lockett, Samuel, um, you know, Allen Robinson back prior to 2015. Um, you know, uh, all of these guys that you mentioned up at the top of the show, McLaurin coming into his second year, um, AJ Brown and DK Metcalf coming into his second year. I, Ayuk is in that category for sure. I would put him, I mentioned that 
Stefan Diggs, Oda Beckham, Calvin Ridley, uh, Terry McLaurin axis of players. I think Ayuk is on that axis and there is 0%. I thought 0% I'd be saying that after his first year, but here we are. From week seven to week 15, he averaged 7.5 catches for 95 yards, 0.67 touchdowns and six healthy games. He missed four games due to injury and COVID-19. So he did have kind of a in and out of the a lineup type of a situation, as did all the 49ers last year. And he did produce when he was healthy. Um, impressive numbers there for sure. And now I want to talk about the rookies who maybe have some uh, work to do with their route running. Uh, these guys all finished 37th or lower in the 50-something player sample that you did. Uh, Darnell Mooney, but he did receive praise from his route running uh, from his head coach in camp. T. Higgins, uh, LaVisca Chenault in the 40s, Denzel Mims, uh, Gabriel Davis, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Rieger. Jalen Rieger was the 52nd player in the 52-player sample that I looked at uh, that you provided early. I think you've added a few players to your sample, but he was last. Um, and he made a great one-handed catch. I think his ADP is going to jump because of his one-handed catch in practice. But uh, So you could talk about whoever you want here, uh, but I was wondering specifically about Chenault because he's going uh, seventh round. Yeah, uh, he, he is going to primarily play in the slot, probably. And he did well in the slot last year. His, his numbers there, yards per route run, were 1.72. Uh, it was 27th out of 68 qualified players at PFF, and that was right about where Chris Godwin, Stefan Diggs, and uh, Tyreek Hill finished in terms of yards per route run. So maybe you could comment on Ch- Chenault, and if you want to discuss you know, Ruggs, who's going to start for – Vegas, Rigger probably going to start for for Philly, whatever you feel about these guys. Yeah, I think that LaVisca Chenault, as long as he plays as that big slot receiver, I'm okay with the fact that he's not a great separator versus man and press. You know, I mentioned Juju earlier. He's always been, you know, below the 50th percentile against man, way lower than that, actually, against man and press coverage. And I think that Chenault actually could be a real souped up version of that type of player. Um, and, it, you know, maybe there's a scenario where he's, he's a DJ Moore type because, you know, I actually compared Chenault to DJ Moore coming out of college because Chenault is a great yak receiver, a really good contested catch receiver. And that was kind of the early signals that DJ Moore could stick because as a rookie was a great yak receiver, still a great yak receiver. Um, and, you know, the last couple of years, he's been a great contested catch receiver as well. So maybe I think there's a scenario where from like a dynasty perspective, maybe Chenault could go on that track. But even if he just stays as like a big interior receiver, I think he's got enough juice to be more than just a bunny hop guy as a slot receiver. You know, he's huge. Um, he showed some pretty good success rate on digs, posts, uh, nines, stuff like that. More more of those uh, routes that are going to be more vertical from the slot. So as long as he's playing on the inside, I'm kind of – just basically I'm like in line with consensus where he's going right now. I'm not too much high. – I'm not higher. I'm not too much lower. Um, the thing to me this in this Jags receiver core is that the gap always should have kind of closed. There's no reason that Chark should have been going as high as he was earlier – um, Chark had a bad year last year. He had a really good year in 2009, a pretty good year in 2019 in reception perception, but either way, um, Marvin Jones always should have been up closer to these guys. Like they, I would, John, would you, would you be zero, zero percent surprised or 1.5% surprised if Marvin Jones was the best receiver on this team this year? Uh, he could easily lead them in, uh, yards and touchdowns. I'd be surprised if he yeah. let him in catches. Uh, that yeah, would be same. the only thing, but, uh, yards and touchdowns, I could easily see him with a healthy season. He's, he's, He's that he's that guy that they wanted, and they signed him really quickly in free agency as well. So I think he was a 
he was certainly a priority for him. Let's discuss this year's rookies, and I want you to tell me a story about Jalen Waddle specifically. But there are four players who are 73% <laughs> or higher versus man, 82% or higher versus zone. These are four players that fell into that group. So that's Waddle, uh, Elijah Moore, uh, who's was tearing up camp apparently prior to his injury. I think he's working his way back. He's back on the, you know, either on the field or sideline. Uh, Devonta Smith played last night. He's the third player. And then Rashad Bateman. I've been drafting a ton of waddle in the eighth to 10th rounds. I've been posting, uh, you know, ducks waddling, uh, penguins waddling, turkeys waddling on Twitter. Anytime I see uh, any mention of the Miami passing game. Uh, and that was primarily because I read your write up on him and he was, he came in as the number one, uh, rookie in the class that you charted in beating man coverage, success rate versus yeah. man coverage. Um, and I think with this, you know, Tua taking a step as a quarterback, you have Will Fuller, who I think is, uh, can be very productive, but I don't know how long, you know, how many games he's going to play. And yeah. then Devont Devontae Parker, we've talked about as a guy who has not been particularly good in your charting, but has been yeah. a good uh, point of catch type of a guy. Um, I think the, I think that the wide receiver one job there is open and the model might, lead this team in, um, in, in, in receiving yards. And the other, the other guy was Rashad Bateman. I think I mentioned him. He, yeah, I, I wanted the Packers to draft him so badly. And then uh, oh, he ended yeah. up, he ended up landing with the Ravens, which was bad. And then on top of it, now he's got surgery and is probably going to miss the first couple of games in September. So I'm kind of out on him, especially with, you know, Sammy Watkins there and Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews and just kind of a run heavy offense. So I think he's more of a dynasty asset, but Maybe you could talk about Waddle more and Devonta Smith and what you expect from them uh, fantasy wise this year. I figured I wouldn't get my check for my yearly appearance if I didn't talk about Jalen Waddle on the show. So <laughs> don't worry. I know Sal. I know Sal's going to cover that appearance fee. Don't worry about it. Um, with Jalen Waddle uh, specifically, as you mentioned, eighty point three percent success rate versus man coverage. That did lead all receivers this year. You know he was not a, not great against press, only sixty two point five percent, but rarely faced press coverage as the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide's vertical slot receiver. I think if he plays that role for the Miami Dolphins, we're totally in. I mean, because I think he can be that vertical slot weapon. You know he does get the Tyreek Hill comparisons, which I hate. I hate comparisons that basically are like, oh, he could be the best receiver in the league. Um, you know, or, or one of the three or four yeah. best receivers in the league, but. The reason he gets those comparisons is because he has complete control of his speed from a stop-start perspective the same way that a guy like Tyreek Hill does. So I really liked Waddle. I understood the Dolphins' logic and why they were so aggressive to get him because – you know, they need guys that can get open. I love, I really like Will Fuller and I was actually, you know, there, there's all these injury questions with him already. You know, I was ahead of consensus on him, but I've kind of bumped him down a little bit. Um, Cause I think Fuller showed last year that he could produce in a number one receiver role from a deep route perspective, from a beating press coverage perspective, um, which was unexpected, you know, and if it's a one-year blip, it's a one-year blip. And then, you know, Jalen Waddle is kind of the guy. Um, Waddle's just a great, really good player. And uh, I think if, if Tua takes that next step, from a vertical passing perspective, it can unlock Waddle's upside. But if he's going to play from the slot and run sort of the more shallow routes as well, I think you could absolutely absolutely have a really good rookie season. Um, I definitely have him ranked ahead of Devontae Parker, who is just not a guy that I, – I, he's just the least uh, – he's the most antithetical fit with these receivers with the, with the quarterback that Tua has been so far in the pros and I think will probably be going forward. So from Elijah Moore, Devonta Smith standpoint – they, their ADPs climbed quite a bit or actually Devonta was up there for most of the off season, but Elijah Moore definitely climbed and he dipped a little bit. I don't know if you think that they should be buying that dip because it does seem like he's going to start opposite of uh, Corey Davis. 
Uh, they had Keelan Cole sort of in that role, but Moore was doing so well in, in camp, but then he came down with that injury. I know you love Moore's route running, and I think you really liked Devonta Smith's route running as well, and it was great to see him back out on the field. Because uh, uh, yep. De- Devonta Smith's going like seventh, eighth round, which I think is fine value. Uh, Moore's going maybe 10th, 11th. What do you think about those values? Yeah, I would buy both, but more aggressively buy more, uh, more aggressively buy more. Um, I mentioned Jalen Waddle's number one in success rate versus man coverage. Number two, Elijah Moore. Number three, Devontae Smith. Number one against press coverage was the little man himself in Devontae Smith, which just goes to show you, like, if you have technique, if you have your your release moves locked down, you can be a small guy and still win against press coverage. There's no correlation. Obviously, Smith is an extreme example with his size, um, his weight, his BMI, all of that. But I've again, I've I've logged 300 players over 80,000 routes over, since 2014. There's no correlation between weight, height, and success rate versus press coverage. Um, if you can get open, you can get open because most of it is obviously athleticism and some quickness, but a lot of it is technique. That's why a guy like Antonio Brown, who was like completely unheralded out of the NF, uh, out of the NFL draft became the best route runner in the NFL during his peak um, because he's an unbelievable technician. Smith could be that guy too. And then Elijah Moore, man. I mean, I'm just, I so, I'm just so excited about this guy. 95th percentile among college prospects and success rate versus man coverage was in, again, like I mentioned, Jalen Waddle limited looks against press coverage extremely limited looks for Elijah Moore against press coverage, but great when he faced it. 73%, 73 73.7% success rate versus press when he faced that. Um, I think he is a full field guy that could win a little bit outside too. You know, he'll probably be the the main slot guy, but I do think he could start opposite Corey Davis. Who Corey Davis, I mean, he's not like a reception perception darling or anything, but man, I I think he's like very underrated in drafts right now just because there's all these questions about Mims, Keelan Cole, Elijah Moore is tearing it up in camp, but I think Corey Davis could just be a sneaky guy to get 100 targets this year um, and potentially, you know, outkick his ADP. But Moore is, yeah, he's absolutely like a must buy for me. I, I really love this player. And then Moore can be a fantasy, have, have an impact as a rookie if he is starting in two receiver sets, but then kicking to the slot when, you know, maybe Keelan Cole comes on the on the field. He needs to be, he needs that snap rate, uh, I think, to produce. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to mention one stat. Jamar Chase went five, five overall. Waddle went six. Devonta Smith went 10. Uh, since 2010, the seven receivers drafted inside the top 10 who have played at least 13 games as rookies have averaged 61 catches, 915 yards, point, uh, 6.9 touchdowns or on 113 targets. Those are high-end wide receiver three numbers. And then if you remove Tavon Austin from that, because he only had 40 for 418, four, four touchdowns on 69 targets. If you remove yeah, we're talking that, about receivers here, not Tavon Austin. <laughs> <laughs> when you remove him, the averages jump to 65 catches for 997 yards and 7.3 touchdowns on 120 targets, low end wide receiver two numbers. So that's the sort of usage that a top 10 drafted receiver is going to see if he plays and stays relatively healthy and plays 13 plus games. So that's what I sort of expect from a lot of these guys uh, going that early. We mentioned Terrace Marshall briefly earlier. I wanted to mention him here. He turned in 40, uh, 47, uh, 74% success rate versus man. Uh, he was below average against zone at around 76%. Uh, Jamar Chase's numbers were similar, and there was a recent report he's having trouble separating camp. But then there's also another report that he had a great day. I think that's good. So I think that's all going to sort of blow over. What did you notice about these two when you were you know, charting them for, for RP? Yeah, Chase, I don't really have any questions about from a separation standpoint. I think he, play, I, I mentioned Jalen Waddell 
Terrace Marshall, Elijah Moore, all these guys that played as slot receivers, you know, they have very low routes versus press coverage. Jamar Chase saw press on 47.7% of his sampled routes from his 2019 season um, and still turned in a really strong success rate of 71.8%. So I don't have any questions about him from a separation standpoint. Will he be like Antonio Brown, Terry McLaurin, Odell Beckham, those guys? No, he's not going to be on that X as a player. But I think he could be above average or, you know, maybe be like a DeAndre Hopkins type who Hopkins gets this rap that he's just a contested catch receiver. And I think Chase kind of gets that, too. But Hopkins is a really good route runner. You know, Hopkins gets open at an extremely high level, as RP would show you. I think Chase could maybe be that type of guy, not to mention unbelievably like sneaky after the catch. People don't talk about him much as the yak guy, but he's really good there. And obviously he's a great downfield ball winner. He is you could question the pick that they went chase over offensive lineman at number five. But I think the reason that the Bengals made that pick was they looked at their passing offense last year and there was no more inefficient play than Joe Burrow to AJ green on deep passes. I mean, Burrow was like the stone worst deep passer in the NFL last year. Some of that might be on Joe Burrow. Some of that might just be that he doesn't have the biggest arm in the world. I think that's a pretty plausible explanation, but also AJ, they just, I guess they look at AJ Green as just total dust. Uh, we'll see if he is that way uh, in Arizona. I did not chart him last year because I, I got a lot of, don't have that much time on my hands and I got a lot, a lot to do. <laughs> um, but with, um, with Jamar Chase, he's the best downfield ball winner. He's the best downfield separator, I think, in the class, you know, especially when you adjust for size. So, yeah, I really, I don't really have any questions about Chase. I, I understand the pick. I think it's just like, how good is the Bengals' offense going to be in year one and, or year, year, year two of this Burrow experience? Um, that is kind of a question worth asking. I, I, I am not like, there's a lot of folks really bullish. I don't know where you are on the Bengals. There's a lot of folks really bullish on this team. I'm sort of in the middle somewhere there. And Terrace Marshall, man, I love this guy. I think he could play the big slot role for the Carolina Panthers. You know, he could step into what Curtis Samuel was last year, but be more of, you know, not a, like being used as a gadget guy or like as a short area receiver, but run some real, real routes from the slot. Um, or he, they could flip him outside. Like I mentioned earlier in the DJ Moore segment, um, you know, it's tough to project volume for Terrace Marshall because McCaffrey's there, Moore is there, Robbie Anderson is there, but there was volume enough for, for a lot of these guys last year. And I want to bet, on this player eventually being a big time guy. Yeah, he did support three. Teddy Bridgewater did support three top twenty-five running backs or wide receivers, but one of them was sort of a running back, and Curtis Samuel, who I think had two hundred plus yards rushing. So that's part of that yeah. floor. People don't realize that when they look at just look at the rankings. Um, I'm still sort of in on the Bengals. I he had this when he went down. Um, the Bengals had the second most pass attempts in the league when Burrow was injured. So I think they really do want to throw the ball. I think, you know, you draft Jamar Chase. I don't think that's an indicator that you're going to start establishing the run or anything. The defense is bad, so the volume should be there. So as long as, I mean, obviously this has not got it off to a great start camp-wise. I mean, you don't want to hear negative no. stuff in training camp because you never hear it. And when you do hear it, it's like, oh boy, you really need to pay attention. Um, but it does sound like they're starting to get things going and it probably was going to take them a bit to, to you know, for Chase to... Um, knock the rust off and for Burrow coming back from the, from the injury as well. So I think you maybe see a better Bengals offense in the second half of the season than you do in September. Um, a couple of other players that are coming in that project to have pretty good roles. And I wanted to ask you about them. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown uh, figures to play a lot in the slot 
you got Terrell Williams outside, Brashad Perryman outside, but Perryman's apparently playing with the second team, so we don't even know his status. Uh, Hawkinson, TJ Hawkinson, probably leads his team in targets. Is my my money's on that. DeAndre Swift is a pass catcher out of the backfield, but can St. Brown put up like a seven seventy catch, seven hundred yard season for the for the Lions? I think that's possible, um, especially as that big slot guy. It's funny, I actually before he got drafted. I said he could he kind of compared favorably to Cooper Cup coming into the NFL and could play in that type of role, which is one of the most unique roles in the NFL, by the way. Um, Sean McVay has gotten Cooper Cup away from press coverage and away from man coverage and lined up against more zones than any receiver in the NFL basically since 2018. And I could I could see Amon Ross St. Brown in that type of role. I said that in his pre-draft profile for reception perception, sure enough gets drafted by a former um, Rams front office guy and obviously the former Rams quarterback and Jared Goff is there. So yeah, no, I, th- I think he could have a pretty decent rookie season. Like I'll, I'll, I'll take him as a flyer uh, late in drafts because there's a chance he could be the most productive receiver here. What about Rondell Moore? We talked about AJ Green a little bit. I've been reading, I, like I didn't want to move AJ Green up in my rankings at all. I don't even know how low I had Nobody him, wants but to do it. Yeah. I keep seeing Beat reporter, beat reporter reports about how he looks like the AJ Green of old. How the Cardinals are so excited. They one, one guy even predicted a thousand yard season for him, which is hard to believe because you we were talking about uh, the Bengals, Bur- the Burrow to AJ Green connection, if you want to call it that. I'll call it a disconnection. Four point six nine yards per attempt <laughs> when when he targeted AJ Green. So. Anyway, they were somebody, not working on 5G. I'll just say that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if AJ Green is really has much of an impact on Rondell Moore. Anyway, Moore's more gonna he's gonna be getting these gadget stuff, all these little targets yeah. around the line of scrimmage. Uh, it seems like he landed in the best possible spot for him. What do you What do you think? Yeah, that was what stood out to me too. Because I agree, he's he's not at this point. You know, and by the way, I logged his 2018 season because that was the last time he played like a full season, but that was for forever ago, you know, 2018, John, what were we doing in 2018? Oh, we were so so innocent and naive. We were so young, so innocent. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Didn't know that it was going to be the year for Tyler Lockett, though, as it turned out to be, but uh, so that was good. That was a good development for us, John. Um, But for Rondale Moore, the big development there, I think out of that 2018 season was just, you know, he's more of a He's definitely more of like a gadget guy, more of a creative touch uh, situation. And obviously it did land in a really good spot there in Arizona. You know, uh, Rich Rebar, Lord Reeves from Sharp Football calls it the horizontal raid. Is there a more horizontal raid player in the NFL than Rondell Moore? I, I do think it's a really good spot for him. Yeah, I'm interested to see what sort of production he has. And this just all sort of if, – if A.J. Green is sort of back and Rondell Moore is doing what he – continues to do what he's doing in camp – Kyler Murray just looks like he's in for a great season. Yeah. And on DeAndre Hopkins too, by the way, like I think they just need to use him more from a vertical standpoint. Like, you know, I think they need to get him more of those downfield routes that he was running with Houston. Um, And that could be like, even though Rondale Moore will not be the guy to open up the offense, there's a, story you could tell yourself where they let Hopkins run free more down the field because they have a little layup guy there uh, in Rondale Moore. God, just looking at uh, DeAndre Hopkins' a success uh, by route chart, it's all green except for the corner route. So you can pretty much do whatever you want to with DeAndre Hopkins in your yeah, offense. Exactly. Yeah. Can we just say? Can we also just say like this is all a Cliff Kingsbury? Like we need to, we need him to be good to get this right. But yeah. he lined Hopkins up on one side of the field more than any player has been lined up at one position in reception perception ever. 
was over 80% on one side of the field. I don't have anybody over 70% in in the history of my charting. That is like, it's, I know that doesn't sound, maybe people don't understand how weird that is. That's so, so weird. Like you don't, like, it's very unusual for, the only guys I have over 60% on one side of the field um, are mostly rookies. Aguilar, 2015. Metcalf, 2019. Diggs, 2015. Robinson, 2014. Kelvin Benjamin, 2014. Like the fact that Hopkins was lined up at left outside receiver on 81.2% of his sampled snaps is weird. That is weird. I didn't know that. Thank you for bringing that wonderful fact to us. That seems very counterproductive when you're. It is. Count- yeah. No, I mean, it just, he's over there running like a bunch of curls from one curls and slants from one position. You got to be a little bit more multiple buddy. Like you don't make yourself easier to defend. Well, we need to get you on a phone call with Cliff Kingsbury, I think. So (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't need to tell him that (laughs) you shouldn't. Uh, So let's talk dusty production. Uh, I've been reading up on Emmanuel Sanders. His, I was, I think, I don't know if I was asking, I asked James, I think about the next gen stats, if they're available for, uh, just for general players, because I was interested in the miles per hour for some of these guys that are getting older. Are they really losing yeah. a step? And I saw a, a cool uh, next-gen stat about how Sanders from 2018 to 2020 is still got the same burst and top 10 burst off the line of scrimmage as he is you know, within the league. So I think that's a pretty good fit in that Bills offense if he can stay healthy. I think that's the question with him at 34. Um, yeah. Marvin, Marvin Jones, we discussed a little bit Sterling Shepard. I saw you tweet about him yesterday, the day before about how you still believe in him and I, where I've got him ranked. It's just like, we, we talked about, um, you know, the, uh, San Francisco passing game and how you can't be in on everybody. If you, especially if you do full projections, because if you, unless yeah. you're expecting the 49ers to become this passing juggernaut, you can't be high on Debo and Ayuk and Kittle and whoever else. Um, and so for the Giants, I'm not particularly high on Galladay. I'm not particularly high on Evan Ingram. So who's the guy that sort of sticks out there as somebody who's been productive? He's free. He's basically free in drafts. Um, Galladay now has a hamstring injury or something. Uh, Sterling Shepard. So maybe touch on Sanders and Sterling Shepard heading into this year because they're both just basically free in drafts. Yeah, the last uh, RP season we have for Emmanuel Sanders is 2019 when he split time with San Francisco and Denver. He was still up there at 73.1% success rate versus man. That's over the 80th percentile. Uh, obviously, we've got a gap year in there in RP. So, we, you know, who, how was he doing in New Orleans? Who knows? Um, but I still like betting on him because I think technique, and he's always been a great technician, I think technique ages really well. I think he's still probably a very good route runner and it's a bet against Gabe Davis who is not a good route runner and is not ready to take that step to being a full starting receiver so I think all in all um I I like to bet on Sanders because again I want to bet on the Bills offense as a whole and really do want to bet on um on Emmanuel Sanders probably outplaying Gabe Davis this year because like when they go four wide Sanders is going to be the other slot receiver alongside Cole Beasley so um I don't mind him as a pick there and Shepard Man, you know, when you look at the history of RP, like all of the guys who have been above the 90th percentile, if you want to give Curtis Samuel as like an asterisk for a thousand yards because he had a thousand yard total season last year, right? Like the only guy who's never hit like great fantasy season, it's Sterling Shepard. Like either he goes down as the outlier of all outliers in terms of over the 90th percentile success rate versus man coverage or 
yeah, or, or, or he's going to have that season at some point. And is it this year and this Giants offense? I mean, my God, I don't know. You, you talked about how it's hard to distribute targets. It's also hard to trust the turnover-prone quarterback and the um, stale offensive coordinator that they have there. Um, so it does sound like Kadarius Toney's not going to play a big year one role, which is not surprising from a player perspective, but also just had a bad offseason as well. Um, bad as ba- I mean, literally about as bad as you could get. So that's a whole other discussion there. <laughs> Uh, I'm uh, but Shepard, yeah, I, I just oh. believe, just believe, I believe in Shepard the player. I believe in Shepard the player to the point that, like, yeah, he's free, right? Like, I mean, there's probably not a great ceiling there, but I really, I mean, I just want to believe the, I want to believe in the player because the process uh, in reception perception would tell you he's a guy that 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 fits in that mold. So we'll see. Yeah, his he's not under threat. Like I think when they drafted Tony, some thought that oh they they're getting his replacement, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case at all. And according to camp reports, he's the number one target for Daniel Jones, which is it is what it is. I mean, that's a sentence that you could parse yeah. six different ways. Yeah. Um, and Sanders, I thought the interesting thing was when I was researching that signing is that the Bills were have been after him for three years. You know, they've right. been trying to get him, and he finally came free when the Saints cut him. So this wasn't just like, oh, Emmanuel Sanders is out there. Should we have him replace John Brown? It was like they they wanted him in Diggs and another guy, and they ended up with Diggs a year early, and now they have uh, Sanders as well. And then you also have Diggs missing time with a knee injury, which makes me a little bit nervous about him. But mm-hmm. um, not crazy nervous, but if he happens to miss any time, then you'll get Sanders as a, you know, getting a big jump, a bump on value. Um just finally a few uh, sleepers and I wanted to, I wrote my article and I identified some guys that have some upside, Traquan Smith, Marquez Callaway for the saints. I'm not bullish on this uh, Michael Thomas injury, this whole thing where he's not returning calls and the, not sur- ideal. the surgery is delayed. And I just don't, I don't know how this is all going to shape up. So I have him coming back or missing eight games. And I don't, I think that might be optimistic. So Big opportunity for Smith, who's had good uh, games in the past when he's been called upon. Callaway, you know, rookie season, undrafted. Um, I don't know if you have any opinions on them. Jacoby Myers is another player that is moving up my ranks and probably should have been higher from the start, but uh, I think he fared pretty well in your route running analysis and seems like he's going to be the wide receiver one for the Patriots, such such that it is. And then Brian Edwards um, for for the Raiders, who's getting like shout-outs from Derek Carr and is having another good camp. This happened last year. We had the good camp and really faded during the season. And it was Nelson Aguilar's time. Um, but apparently Edwards took all that uh, coaching to heart and came back even stronger. Um, do you have any thoughts on these four? Yeah. Um, our mutual friend, James Coe has, is kind of like encouraging me to uh, publish like reception perception snapshots on guys like Marquez Callaway and Brian Edwards. So uh, subscribers to the site can look forward to that. That's all I'll say right now. Uh, and for Jacoby Myers though. Yeah. I, I love this guy. I've had him at wide receiver 49, basically throughout the entire off season, very high uh, on Jacoby Myers. I don't think he gets nearly enough credit for being, you know, a guy who's, you know, played really well in within the context of this Patriots offense last year, 72nd uh, or excuse me, 80th percentile success rate versus man coverage over 72% last year and thrived as a slot thrived as a flanker moved a little bit everywhere. I think he could do 
a little bit of everything. You know, when you look at his route chart on RP, uh, you, you know, the, the, the green is mostly going to be around the short areas. It is not like a real vertical for it, but Nelson Aguilar is going to be their vertical guy. And you even saw it last, uh, last night in the preseason game, Aguilar was mostly running those deep routes and, and taking defenders there. And they needed somebody to do that in new England. Um, and they paid him a lot of money to do that, by the way. But that was opening up a lot of plays for Jacoby Myers in the intermediate range of the field. I think he is going to be the number one receiver for the Patriots. And I, I have been drafting him pretty aggressively, even though his ADP is creeping up now. Yeah, he was 12th in uh, yards per route run last year. And that's partially because they didn't run a whole lot of routes. They were very run heavy. But he's yeah. a guy, too, that will probably take off when Mac Jones takes over. Uh, it's sort of depending on how much they let Cam Newton Agreed. throw. Um, so appreciate you, uh, giving me all this time. You've been very generous. I know we went into overtime here cause we went over, oh, uh, good, man. so you're going to get extra pay for that. Uh, but I wanted to throw one curveball. <laughs> I wanted to throw one curveball at you. Okay. Hashtag, hashtag bird alert. Oh yeah, baby. You know, uh, uh like <laughs> Albert Wilson, man. Um, Albert Wilson is like kind of a sneaky reception perception. I wouldn't call him a favorite, but Definitely flashed a little bit in his in some of his days in Kansas City and then his one year in Miami as well. You know, when you look at that receiver core, man, he's been he's been kind of popping. He's been kind of popping in training camp, right? And despite the fact that they added, you know, Will Fuller, they added um, you know, obviously Jalen Waddle, your guy. Can we be high on Albert Wilson and Jalen Waddle, John Paulson? I don't know. Maybe they should just bench Parker or use, uh, you know, I Wilson, mean, yeah, would- uh, Waddle, Parker when uh, Fuller inevitably misses a game or something. I don't know. Like, I, I went back to look at your uh, – which which year that was, and it was 2018 uh, that he was 10th in my one-number rankings. It has a little asterisk next to it, which I think meant that you – charted the year short, before short season yeah or either so, either shortened season or i'm trying to i could pull up my database now but i don't want to crash our stream you know yeah uh, no worries, no worries. <laughs> yeah so i just, but I no, just yeah no if, for for historical like sicko subscribers on reception perception the historical tables are available um and you can get the full the full charting since 2014 and there are definitely burnt seasons in there and and like you mentioned um he's he's been pretty decent when uh when he's had his chances. Yeah. So just so you know, whenever I see Albert Wilson's name, I remember that 2018 charting and think of you nice. and I'm like, well, is this, is this the year that could might maybe happen? Cause we always want to be a, ahead of the curve, right? At RP. Exactly. And, exactly. So Matt, thanks so, for being so generous with your time. Once again, you can find Matt on Twitter at Matt Harmon, BYB underscore BYB. Uh, I'll say that again at, Matt Harmon underscore BYB at Yahoo Sports and at his new site, Reception Perception. Buying a subscription is a great way to support his work and to continue to allow him to come on this podcast every uh, year and discuss these, go into deep dive into the receivers. I think this is the deepest dive we've done. Uh, so, Matt, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, that's it for this episode. See you next time on 444 is the most accurate podcast. <laughs>